Welcome to Catch a Release, a podcast project undertaken by more than 100 English 12 students from Sir Winston Churchill Secondary in Vancouver, BC. In these episodes, you'll be hearing about their memories, big moments from their lives, their regrets, and their dealings with mental health. We hope that after catching these stories, you find a way to release what's holding you back. Thank you for listening. The difference between wealth and poverty in our city is that wealth gets noticed and poverty gets swept under the rug. When you see a supercar, it's common for someone to call it out and idolize it. But what is far less frequent is someone noticing poverty around a neighborhood and trying to fix it. People living in poverty are not considered in our everyday lives, nor are they looked after. And that is why they're the forgotten ones. The numbers are staggering, but not surprising. A 30% increase is far more than our economy can sustain, and now we know that homelessness is costing us billions of dollars. On the other side of that, hundreds of people are dying on our streets. This is a crisis. A 30% rise in homelessness since the last count three years ago. Vancouver saw a good chunk of that spike, logging more than 2,100 people homeless right now. Officials hope the stats will open the eyes of politicians throughout Metro Vancouver. Low vacancy rates and lack of affordable housing are being blamed. One nonprofit took the opportunity to launch its 10-year housing plan in response. We have a big problem in that we haven't built purpose-built rental housing in the private market here for over 30 years in BC, uh, and we haven't built social housing for 25 years. So the amount of work that we need to do runs the gamut in terms of our housing continuum. Um, a lot of us really do not want to do any of the drugs that we're on, but we're stuck in a position where not many people want to support us. I feel as if us and our problems are just swept under the rug, and I'm tired of being a dust bunny. Tobias Fendrish and I am one of the narrators for this podcast. We live in one of the most beautiful and richest cities in the world that is often rated in the top 10 most livable cities. As much as I have always loved Vancouver, I have often asked the question, is it truly an amazing city for everyone? Doing a bit of research, I have found that there are over 2,100 homeless people in the streets of Vancouver, and just at Oppenheimer Park, there are around 80 to 100 people living and sleeping in rundown tents in freezing temperatures year-round. I want to find out who these people are, how they ended up homeless, and what can be done to help them. My hope is to shine a light on a very real and pressing issue in Vancouver, and maybe even make a change. Hi, my name's Liam Blakely, and I'm one of the narrators for this podcast. Since I was a young boy, 
I've always been fascinated by supercars. I played this one game with my teammates every time we carpooled to soccer. The game was all about who could spot a supercar the fastest and call it the make and model. As a kid, I never thought any more about it, but recently, I have realized that this game is just yet another example of the wealth in Vancouver and how early it makes an impression on the youth. This got me thinking, what about the opposite of wealth? What about the people living on the downtown east side? After asking around, I noticed a trend. People seemed not to know much about the downtown east side. I also noticed that in today's world, mental health and issues surrounding mental health are becoming far more prevalent. I was curious to see how these two things affected one another. This is why I'm embarking on this journey to understand more about my own city and the realities that live within it. And have you found that mental health is really prevalent down here? It's really like, it's, a, it's something um, that you see a lot? Yeah, mental it's health really, issues. it's really hard. Like, yeah. I, um, I can't cry anymore. Like, oh. I want to tear up, but I have no more tears because I, lost so many even family members. Yeah. Right? We're family down here no matter what. Like what can be done to improve the situation do you think? To make things better. Um well look at this park, right? Oppenheimer for, I was part of the first ten city back in the day wow. there. Seven. Even though I had a place which was across the street. Okay. But I'm down. Yeah. Um, no, I, I seriously want to see freaking more homes made for everyone. Yeah. Nothing has been done. Yeah. But they have because just over here on Jackson, yeah. there's the module housing. Okay. There's module housing by um, the sugar factory. There's module housing and apparently. Um, it's near our school. We have another modular housing. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think housing is? One of the, it's one number of the best one. ways. Yeah. I, Susan, I want, I want everyone to be in the house. Like, I yeah. want them to be safe. I'm Warm, especially in the past couple of weeks when it's been so cold yeah. and, and snowy. Like, health in the whole night, right? Yeah. Is there are there enough resources down here for people with uh, mental health issues to go and talk to someone or to receive treatment? Are there enough? Somewhat, yes. Yeah. And what does that look but like? It, it looks on themselves. Okay. Basically, um, I personally I went to treatment back in 2010. Yeah. And it was really harsh, but yeah. uh, I need to breathe. And today yeah. I'm just I because I'm a brewmaster. I want to I want to freaking drink it. Once I hear these ambulances. Yeah. The sirens, I say my, I say my prayers yeah. to whoever's doing. We are rich in here. We care for each other. Love thy neighbor as you love thyself. That's if I don't love myself, how can I love other people? I have to love myself first. Oh, I was that way. I came naked. Yeah. I was naked. I was children. We share each other. Yeah. Jesus said that you got one bread, share half it. Your neighbor. That's why we love that neighbor to love that child. Yeah. Am I right? You're, you're very correct. 100%, I know that. Yes, sir. The rich people, they don't understand yes. at all. Yes. They think we are poor. We are not poor. We are rich here. Yeah. 
Yeah. They go to right? church. They think they're going to pray. They go for food. No, we want to. We want to. No. Tell, we want what to tell are you talking people. about? We want to tell the rich people that don't understand. We want to. They won't understand. They need is money, money, money. That's all. For what? You fucking asshole. You came naked. You go naked. What are you taking? The, my body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. <laughs> Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> my body doesn't belong. In, I'm. Sorry. I learn it from God. Yeah. It's his. My body is God's property. And when you rents up, then you I pay back by eBay by doing drugs, Dude. doing stupid things. Yeah. I'm spoiling my body. What do you think Vancouver has done in the past for this community down here? Nothing. When Mayor Gary Robertson said yeah. you just couldn't get, yeah. Didn't happen. Didn't of course, happen. Hey, listen. He promised. He promised. Politicians All false promised. politics. Frickin they promised. want me. Vote for me, I'll do this, I'll do that. Fuck you, man. They won't do it. They just be the vote. I'm a mayor, I'm a this. Be nice and humble. Humble like a child. Humble. Humble like a child. Humble like a child. Why? Then you'll be in the house of God. God said that humble yourself like a child. When a child is born, he doesn't know anything. You teach him. He's talking to God. Then the child, the father, parents teach them. They learn. Oh, my parents, oh, they learn. My father, alcoholic, my mom is this and that. We learn. Yeah. We learn by mistakes. In a program. Yeah, it's for school, right? Yeah, it's a program. They're learning, you know, how the world is running. Yeah. Bullshit. The world is running. Mine doesn't bullshit. stop. Yeah. You want a drink? I'm okay, thank you, though. Thank you. No, Can I buy you a beer? No, I'll pass, thank you. Can I buy you a coffee? No, it's okay. You're, you're very generous. I like that. I'm not, I'm not generous. But it's okay. Thank you for being so generous and speaking with us. I'm not generous. Yeah, you are. You're very humble and generous. I just, I just I like want it. your knowledge. I don't want your, I don't want your gifts. <laughs> don't judge the book by its cover. Never. Never. Yeah. No. Never judge the book by its cover. Do you judge the book by its cover? My face, like, no, what's no, no. in me, you don't. See? Exactly. Look, you're, you're generous. I, I tell you you're generous and you say, no, I'm not generous. There no, I never say you're, that. You're humble as well. <laughs> <laughs> you're humble. Wow. I mean, never judge. I can do about woman. Sorry. What's in me? I respect you. I love your kids. God bless you. Okay. Thank Advice. you so much. You Have a good money? day. You need money? No, no, no thank no, you. No. You need, I give you. No, no, sir. Thank you. I never use heroin. I never use heroin. Never use heroin. Yeah, uh, heroin kills a lot of people because somebody put something in the heroin. Yeah, people die. Guys, very young. Yeah. Never do this shit. 17 and 18. Yeah, yeah. Never do this shit. Never, never do this shit. It's garbage. You, you only have to do girls happy. Never, never touch these drugs. Drink is okay. A little when you have a party. Just a party. Yeah. Ah, no, not every day. No, every day. nada. No, yeah. nada. No. Yeah. Don't use the. Thank you. Because it's garbage. Ill. Only you make a rich and motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, and I'm from Peru. I've been to many like quite a few cities over a long period of time. And there's no other place that I want to live is right here in Vancouver, right here. Yeah. Oh without no, yeah. There's nothing wrong with this place yeah. at all. 
The only thing wrong this place is the people that think there's something wrong this place. Yep. There's well, the thing so is, much but there's so many different understandings. Well, it's very beautiful. I love Skatchewan. What do you like better about this place, though? That uh, I can survive here. Tobias, after spending about two hours walking around Oppenheimer Park and talking to multiple people, did you have any realizations or did you change at all your opinion on this community? Yeah, after walking around and interviewing people and talking to people and, and observing, I think that we did see a lot, a lot of um, community and family in this neighborhood and that everyone was very kind to each other and that I guess I would have expected a little bit more people getting mad at each other and stuff and on the other hand we came down here we saw people hugging each other people asking each other how they're doing um, people like offering to give food to each other and it kind of changed my mind yeah no I totally agree myself as well if you don't mind me weighing yeah. in um, I was absolutely marveled at, at how kind and generous people were down here actually I mean I also think that, when we, example, when we were first talking to that one man in the blue jacket, yeah, he originally was extremely um, abrasive and a little bit apprehensive to talking with us, but then when he kind of realized that we were more neutral and we weren't actually here to judge him, he opened up and by the end of the conversation, he was offering us money, food, <laughs> alcohol, which we, which we kindly refused all three, but... It was just amazing to see how much compassion people have for one another. And to add another. to that, when we when we told him how generous he was, uh, <laughs> he, he told us he wasn't generous, and that just goes to show how humble and um, as well generous the people are down here. Yeah, excellent. Tobias, what do you think are some of the main differences between this community here around Oppenheimer Park and the downtown east side compared to your community? From what we've seen today, a big uh, trend and theme that we've seen is how open people are to talk to us and how willing people are to share their stories. And that contrasts um, our community, or at least my community. For an example, when we take the bus, we see people on their phone in their own little world, and you never really see anyone um, go out of their way to talk to someone else and share their story. But just talking here for two hours today, we heard many life stories, and it's really cool to see how willing people are to share. Well, I definitely think um, what you've said is, is true. Like, it's very rare on a bus to, to see people coming up and, and just sharing their stories. And, and when they do, it's often, you know, it's kind of looked, not, not looked down upon, but everyone else in the bus is kind of looking at them like, what are they doing? I, I've seen it happen. Yeah. And, uh, and here, in the, over the course of our interview, one of, one of our interviewees, um, got up three times to, to just hug people moving past and there was just that sense of community and love that that I don't necessarily feel in my own community, if I'm honest, where where I live in my neighborhood, I honestly don't know the names of my neighbors. And when I see them it's like it's it's a curt wave. It's it's cordial, it's short, it's brief, and it's definitely not stopping to ask, uh, how's your day? Do you need something to eat? I mean they live in like a five million dollar house, so I don't think they need anything to eat. But, but still, it's yeah. there's there's a bit of a lack of a sense of community, and 
and people characterize this place so harshly and I think that I've realized it's not necessarily yeah it's it's not necessarily as harsh in their hearts as yeah. as people see in their eyes Ben Garner is a knowledgeable advocate for mental health. He presents his story and understanding of mental health issues in schools all around Vancouver and in the community to help destigmatize the topic as a whole. He has more than 10 years experience with these issues and has actually experienced the downtown east side himself from a perspective of mental health, instability, and drug addiction. As a recovered individual, he provides extremely valuable insight to the community from a perspective of someone who has been through it all. We first heard him speak when he did a presentation at our school, representing the Stigma Free Zone organization, and knew he would be an extremely interesting person to talk to. Yeah, so when I uh, first started experiencing kind of mental illness symptoms, yeah. um, I never really got to the downtown east side, I think, as a person who um, had a dual diagnosis, which a lot of people right which is a, a, a diagnosis with an addiction or substance abuse issue but also a mental illness a lot of people use substances to cope with mental illnesses because medications that are prescribed by a doctor don't typically make someone feel better so I think what happens in those kinds of situations is when a person uses a narcotic it's going to instantly make them feel better it's going to instantly eliminate any you know problem voices or they might feel confident that they can control those voices or things like that so it's a lot more seductive I think to uh, for a person to use a narcotic that acts immediately as opposed to being prescribed a medication that will take you know could take up to four or five months before it actually starts to work and those medications don't make necessarily a person feel happier it just levels out their mood so if a person's experienced, you know, highs before, that mood, you know, their normal range mood that medication is going to do is actually going to probably feel a little bit depressive. You know, it's not going to make them feel better. Only illegal drugs can make a person, like, instantly feel better, or alcohol will make a person, you know, totally forget everything because they won't, they'll be drunk. Um, so I think, you know, in those initial stages when I was experiencing, you know, mania and going into psychosis, I never really, I never crossed Granville. So, I mean, that alone was kind of an issue, you know, because I always partied in like downtown or, Col you know, Cole Harbor, you know, Yale Town. Um, and that kind of never allowed me to think that I had a problem. So it was only, you know, fast forward a year and a half after that, that I'd been in and out of hospital because of my mental health, um, that the hospital wasn't going to take me anymore when I needed help because I was still using narcotics to feel better. Um, I also felt like a guinea pig, you know, after about a year and a half of, you know, going into every single psych ward pretty much in Vancouver. Um, every single time I went into a new psych ward, I was put on different medication, you know, and that's the thing about mental health too is one medication for the same mental illness could work for one person and it may not for another. So there's a whole slew of different medications and every time they're just like, okay, put them on, you know, Effexor, put them on Lithium, okay, let's put them on Epival. And so it makes a person with a mental illness feel like they're not, they have no idea what they're doing, right? So why am I gonna, you know, take this medication that, you know, makes me drool, makes me gain weight, makes my 
muscles and my joints spasm, you know, when I can take an illegal drug that's going to fix the problem immediately. And, uh, and I needed immediate because of the situational things that had happened to me the year prior, you know, and I was dealing with a lot of trauma. And for a 21-year-old person to deal with that amount of trauma um, is, uh, is very, very hard. Truly, it's heavy. Um, and I think, you know, speaking specifically about the downtown east side, um, a lot of those uh, individuals have experienced similar traumas, you know, and they may have even experienced traumas growing up. They might have not, you know, had a nice, you know, home life growing up. It's most likely could have been abusive. So they're even more likely to end up there. But not just that. I mean, I grew up in, you know, the British properties. I had a good family, you know, a little bit dysfunctional, but we all are, you know, and even then the experiences that happened in my life, um, you know, I eventually ended up there. The hospital didn't take me that night. They said, you need to go to the downtown east side and sleep in an emergency shelter. And I did. And, you know, only by fluke, and I didn't say this in my presentation, but when I went into that emergency shelter, uh, the next morning, I actually had a diamond ring that I'd kept for years and I had sentimental value to it. I actually was so like, this is probably a couple days of not having drugs. So I'm like needing drugs at that point to actually survive, right? Like, the you know, just, oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you become reliant on it, your body has a physical dependency on it. So I could not like, I couldn't even move you know, like, and, and that's how it is for a lot of the people down there. It's not necessarily, you know, <clears throat> that they need it to escape, you know, after a certain period of time, people need that to actually be able to feel normal, you know, like to have energy to be able to get out of bed. If you don't have those drugs, you're not even, you know, you're probably going to sleep, you know, um, so I actually left that emergency shelter and went and tried to pawn my, my diamond ring. Um, and by fluke, the drugs that I got were fake drugs. The girl took off and uh, it was uh, crack cocaine actually at that point. And she gave me a bag of wax. It's very typical for people to scam all down there. And it can kind of look very similar to that drug. And so it just so happened that I'd pawned my ring and I had nothing else. So, you know, that instant alone, uh, instance alone kind of uh, prompted me to, you know, follow through with the detox because I could have had those drugs, been high for the next couple of days, met someone in the downtown east side and shared their drugs with them and, you know, I could still be down there just from that instance alone, you know, just constantly being fed narcotics and it's a community down there and that's kind of why it never leaves and people don't get out is because there's support there you know if you make friends and you have a little community and you know people pawn things and you've got you know uh, Hastings right there that everybody's selling their stuff and you know so you steal something you bring it down there you get your drugs but I mean because of that community because everybody kind of is alike everybody does support each other you know when check day comes sure there's gonna be people that are like yeah let's get high I'll share my drugs with you you know so it kind of keeps that system going you know and, and it becomes very hard for someone to get out of there especially when they've been there for a duration of time, 
and they're already stigmatized, you know, for being in the downtown east side. Then it's even, you know, 10 times harder to get out of the downtown east side because then they're labeled, you know, a person, I'm coming from the downtown east side, you know, so they don't just have to battle recovery. They also have to battle the stigma that, you know, all of Vancouver views that person as. It's like, screw it, why would I get out if I like, I have sure. support here sure. and I need the stuff here sure. and there's nothing for me out there? Vancouver, out of like all of my experiences, Toronto, like I've been in the States, Philadelphia, California, right. you know, all of these places, Vancouver by leaps and bounds has more support for mental illness, drug addiction, housing, food, you know, like you can survive down there with absolutely no money. There's food lines two times a day at, you know, the treatment center that I went to, you know, there's a Union Gospel Mission that does a food line every single day, you know, there's support, there's outreach centers where people can go during the day and just hang out and watch TV and have coffee and have food and socialize, like, you could literally, you know, live on a support, you know, and the government doesn't help that either because, you know, it's, you know, ministry disability or income assistance is $1,100. You know, so you s to stay in one of the hotels down there to rent a hotel room, which is basically their their apartment, right? It doesn't have a bathroom. You have to share a communal bathroom on a floor. Um, you know, the shelter portion is $350. So that goes to that, and that leaves a person $650 for drugs for the whole entire month. But guaranteed, if you're in the downtown east side, that $650 is gone within probably a couple of days. Wow. That's why if you go down to you know the downtown east side on a Wednesday, the last Wednesday of the month, everybody's out, everybody's happy. It's because they've gotten their check and everybody's high, you know? Wow. Do you think it'd be more helpful for having these resources? Because you talked about all these resources being concentrated in the downtown east side. Do you think that resources around the city, like the new housing that we have here, do you think yeah. it's better to have stuff dispersed in order to get people back into the community and back into their jobs? It's beneficial, yes. If someone is recovering and they need to get out, then you know those housing services elsewhere can integrate someone else. But a person has to be in a place where they're willing to leave that. They've got to that point where they've overcome, they're facing that stigma, and they're now in a place where they're gonna be supportive and integrated into Oh my gosh, I see trees. Oh my gosh, this is, you know, there's a grocery store here, you know, and have support systems in that area that they can, you know, kind of learn those basic life skills. You said that the amount of resources down there, anyone could survive down there without money if, if they survive sure. through, right? So if. Well, the, everybody yeah, down there does. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Because if people are looking to recover, but they don't need to because they have everything they need down there, is that going to help or hinder the situation? That's a that's a tough question because some people don't. It's a, that's a personal choice, yeah. right? All you know, even though all of those people don't really have that much money, every single one of those people have the option to recover, you know. And a lot of those people, and I've seen it over and over again, a lot of those people have been in treatment centers. Some people like up to 19 times, you know? A lot of people uh, will, you know, kind of uh, through the uh, warmer months have no problem being out because you can sleep on the streets, you can, it yeah. doesn't really matter. The weather even helps it. Generally. A lot of people will, you know, 
do whatever they need to do, and then they check into a treatment center, you know, come the end of summer, because a treatment center you could stay in for four up to five months. Three meals a day, you gotta do the recovery. Once a person's been in a treatment center, they learn the language so they can actually play the game, and, then, and that does happen. People do manipulate the system and just, you know, say, oh yeah, I'm gonna recover, and, and granted, they do stay sober when they're there, because they have to. Right. Do you think uh, raising the welfare, because you know you're saying that it's at eleven hundred right now. Do you think raising the welfare would just go straight to drugs? Like, what, when do we make the discrepancy between what's helpful and what's not? I mean, I don't think I have. I can't speak for everybody. Yeah. From my own experience, if I was addicted to drugs in the downtown east side with all the resources available, if the government were to increase my, you know, allowance at that point, you know. Yeah. Um, Guaranteed it would have gone to drugs 100%. It would just add another two days, you know, onto Welfare Wednesday. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, people. I, it would it'd probably bring even more drugs in, you know, because. More demand, more supply? Yeah, exactly, right? People have more money, so they're, you know, people are going to bring in more drugs. So it kind of, it, yeah, that's an issue. I noticed that outside of the downtown east side community, like if you look at our municipal government or just the general um, vibe a lot of people have is that the downtown east side is a problem and that it needs yeah. to be solved. But from the sense that I've gotten from actually going down there talking to some people and even for some things you're saying, like it's not a problem in the sense that people are happy there when yeah. they get their stuff, when yeah. they are able to live. So is yeah. it a problem? Is, I guess my question is, is the downtown side a problem that needs to be solved? Um, I, is our social like kind of view of our contemporary social views a, a problem? That's kind of where I go, right? right. Like, and, and that's all it is. No, it's not a problem. You know, but certainly it's a problem for a developing Yale town, a developing gas town, when you know every you know trendy you know IT or you know company is going down there, and you know here's a you know quote unquote, and I hate to say it, but like a crackhead, you know, sitting on the corner in front of their office. Yeah, then it's you know then it's an issue for yeah. people because they don't want to see it, and that's the problem. Out of sight, out of mind, right? Like. I mean, over the years, even in Gastown, the gentrification, you know, was actually an attempt to push people out of there. They had to hope to do it for the Olympics, right? right. Revamping all of that. And there were, I think, you know, resources in place in, I, I had heard, I don't know if it panned out, but like in uh, Burnaby or further out, and they were going to transfer everybody from the downtown east side to, you know, places outside of Vancouver so that the rest of the world didn't have to see the downtown east side. Not everybody feels inclined to support mental illness, right? You know, there's people who probably, you know, in the school that would be like, no, get rid of them, right? So it all depends. You know, when you're living in a brand new condo with a shiny garden and everything's manicured and you've got a concierge, you know, at your front desk, you're certainly not going to want to, you know, say hi to Paul, you know, who sits outside your building and then come into your concierge. It just doesn't make sense, you know what I mean? 
we already know that there's a lot of supports available down there yeah. with the food and the welfare. Yeah. But what further supports are necessary to help those suffering from mental illnesses or uh, from me mental health issues? You know, from what I know and what I've seen and what I know of recovery and addiction, um, it's really important for people to have community. Again, that's why everybody's down there and it is so tight knit right. and it does, it's indestructible. You know, if like the government with the Olympics coming to Canada can't get people out of there, then, you know, there's a system there that is impenetrable. So, um, and that's because there's support. That's because everybody supports each other down there and there's a, you know, fully functioning, you know, kind of ecosystem right. of, you know, individuals. And, um, and even in that sense, the fact that it can't be impenetrable is proof that it functions, you know, to an optimal kind of level, right? Um, to get people well, um, is definitely a matter of information, right? People have to be informed. They have to know that there are options available. They need to be informed exactly uh, of all of those options. And then they also need to be placed into a community with it where they aren't alone and they're gonna be supported, right? And that's kind of the whole idea of a treatment center. It's definitely like, it's, it's so interesting because it seems like half the time Everything's working down there, and then the other half of the time, it seems that people want to take that away and fix it, but it doesn't necessarily well, fix it. It seems like an odd balance because people want to want to help. Mm -hmm. Like the bottom line is, regardless of it, if it's working, people are suffering, even when they're high and they are functioning fully and accessing resources internally. They're still suffering, right? They're just covering up that suffering momentarily. Right, but the whole I think kind of understanding of addiction is uh, originates in from loneliness and suffering. Right, a person you know needs to belong. Right, like there's been you know uh, research about um, uh, like building a community for addiction. It's like the, the best way to combat addiction is community and connection. substance to feel differently, either not lonely or not depressed. Do you think that a good place to start would be almost working with like the people at younger ages and in education and how we're taught, like what we're taught about mental health and how we can support our friends and stuff like that. Like, and, I, then, and then it'll, it'll make a, like as we grow older it'll affect like society as we impact. Exactly. I think the work is not on the downtown east side. I think the work's on the rest of Vancouver. How, how did you get out of the downtown east side again? Because you were you about to sell your diamond ring, and then yeah. you you got fake drugs. Yeah. So you didn't end up using any that day. Yeah. And and then what happened next? Well, I had that was when I was waiting to get into the detox. Oh right. But detox centers are typically full, and um, you can't get in right away. There's a whole process of people, and I just heard this on the news a couple days ago, of like talking about the opioid epidemic and how people need um, access to these resources immediately 
uh, and the guy that I was listening to was, uh, and this makes total sense, he was saying, uh, a person, when they are ready to get sober, needs to have access to sobriety as quickly as they would having access to their drug dealer and that drug, right? Because mm. it's a split-second decision. Right? It's like, okay, yeah, I want to get sober, and immediately they need to be in. And the process, the problem with the system is that when someone wants to get sober, you have to call like Access, uh, Access One, which is like an intake center. You have to go on a list. It can take like three weeks to a month. And by then, you've already found your next drug, and nobody cares about you when it mattered. And so, what's the point? After talking to someone who has experienced first-hand life on the downtown east side while they had a mental illness, Ben Garner provided some illuminating opinions. Liam, what are some of the things that Ben said which showed you a new perspective or had you thinking in a new way? I must say, Ben is such an interesting speaker and he had so many cool things to share with us. Throughout the interview, I had so many eye-opening thoughts that were part of our conversation. One of the first things that I realized is why so many people are using illegal drugs. Illegal drugs have an immediate effect on your body or mind by being able to take away the pain. Oftentimes, people suffering from mental health disorders will attempt to get help, but as mental health disorders are different for everyone, it is so hard to find medication or treatments that actually work. This leads to many people being unsuccessful in their attempts to get clean or healthy by using legal methods. Therefore, they have to go back to the good old tried and true way of feeling better, illegal drugs. A lot of people need to feel better in the now, and they don't want to wait for the prescribed medication to start working for them. This allowed me to gain some perspective as to why some people use these drugs. Previously, I only really thought about it as an addiction or poor choice, rather than the true meaning behind self-medication. So this was really eye-opening for me. Yeah, there's a very clear correlation between mental illness and drug abuse, and this definitely explains a lot of it. Sure does. Another thing that piqued my interest was a comment by Ben regarding community. We've already heard from some of our previous interviews in the downtown east side that there's a very strong sense of community and support there. This certainly has many positives, but what really interested me was the flip side to this. How there can be kind of even some negative effects to such a supportive community, which kind of sounds surprising, but it seems true. Ben mentioned that if someone down there really needs drugs, it's fairly easy for them to, to, for them to get them even if they don't have any money. This is because the community is so supportive and will share with one another until check day arrives and then debts can be settled. This community can therefore lead to the continuation of drug addictions, which causes the drug problem to be everlasting. In addition to this, with the way that the community is set up, you can live on the downtown east side for most months of the year with virtually nothing. At least some people can. Um, this seems to be a bit, a bit of a conundrum for me personally because I can't decide this is good or bad. I mean, on the one hand, it gives sanctuary to those with nothing, but on the other hand, it allows them to spend their entire welfare check on drugs and not necessarily on other life essentials. Jean Swanson sits on the Vancouver City Council and provides an extremely progressive perspective on housing and inequality in the downtown east side. We thought it would be very beneficial to hear the opinion of a Vancouver politician who has years of experience dealing with the downtown east side including the housing and drug crisis going on in that community. I've lived here for the last 50 years, <laughs> and I've been pretty much an anti-poverty and housing activist all that time. And uh, I started out working at the Downtown East Side Residents Association back in the 70s when we hardly had any homelessness because governments were building thousands of units of social housing every year. 
and welfare rates were high enough to pay the rent and eat, which they are now. And then we lost our funding for biting the hand that fed us. And then I ran a by-election, and in the election where I got, where I was defeated in the by-election, I'm actually the most, literally, I think I'm the most defeated person in Vancouver. But anyway, I finally got elected, and my platform was a rent freeze, a mansion tax, and homelessness, and working towards free transit, among other things. Yeah. I'm the most left-wing counselor, I guess you could say. Well, how has the downtown east side been shaped by mental health issues? Well, I think that there's been a real concerted attempt to redefine poverty and homeless issues as issues of homelessness and addiction. I remember when Gordon Campbell was the premier. He is the one that basically caused the homelessness to start spiking by changing welfare rules so hardly anybody could get on welfare. It really, really hard to get on welfare. And, of course, the rates were low then, but not as low as they are now, uh, taking inflation into account. Right. And um, he also didn't build very much housing, if any. So he set up, but everyone was starting to notice homelessness because nobody could get on welfare, so they were all becoming homeless. And so he set up a task force on homelessness, mental health, and addiction, as though they were the same thing, and as though his policies weren't causing them. So I'm thinking, you know, if you're homeless, yes, you're going to have some issues. You might even take drugs so you can stay up all night so no one will beat you up. <laughs> so your stuff won't get stolen. I mean, I'm not recommending that, but yeah, I can course. see how someone would do it. And, um, or you may take something else just so you could not stress out so much. I think there's been a, a, a huge defensive attempt to pathologize poverty. So, so it's treated as, and, and you see that in the supportive housing. A lot of the low-income people get into housing. They're glad they've got a roof over their heads, but it's supportive housing, and supportive housing is a bit too uh, institutionalized and police-like for a lot of people. Well, do you believe that it's the responsibility of our municipal government to combat mental health in our communities around the city, and specifically in the downtown east side? To foster mental health. To improve mental health wellness. Provide resources. Yeah, well, mostly health is a provincial issue, right? So, um, the province has the ability to tax income and wealth, and the feds do too. And they have the ability to make graduate tax so that if you're poor, you pay less, lower rate than if you're rich. The city only has the ability to tax property, and it can't make tax rate. That's why my campaign wanted a mansion tax. We want a progressive property tax so that we can tax mansions at a higher rate. So we do have a progressive property tax now. It's called the school tax but the province is taking all the money. So basically the city only gets 8% of all the tax revenue that's collected. But it has all these issues to deal with on the ground because the city level of government is closest to the people. Everybody's always 
going to the city when there's issues. So in this system, technically, the province should be responsible for funding mental health, just like they're responsible for physical health. Uh, but they're not living up to that. And in the meantime, there are things that the city is trying to do, right? Like funding Gallery Gachet, for example, which is a nice community building place in the downtown east side that Coastal Health withdrew funding from. So the provincial government is taking some of the tax money from our city and we're not getting to use it necessarily. Well, you know, they do things. They, they pay for schools and they pay Other for things. hospitals and roads and everything. If things are a little um, further away from home, what can students here and young people who are close to home, what can we do to help this? You guys got together, the students got yeah. together and formed Students for Modular Housing. Yeah. And you stopped, you basically became, in my mind, an example to the world of how to do that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it seems like a lot of people in this city, just from asking around and talking to people, have this idea that the downtown east side is a problem, or there's a problem on the downtown east side, and that it needs fixing. I was wondering if you could speak on that. Do you think it's a problem? Do you think there is a problem there that needs fixing? And if so, what is it and how? Yes, there is a problem. Yes, it does need fixing. One, one aspect of the problem is that welfare rates are too low to live on. They need to be raised up to about 1600 a month from 760 How do you fix the downtown east side? You raise welfare rates and you build housing. Those are the two things, most important things, I think. And if you can give people supports, non-invasive supports, One person we talked to had an opinion well, that on the downtown east side, many people have everything to survive. They have food which they can get for free, and they have the climate's not too bad, so well, for parts of the year, at least, they can just live in their tents on the street if they wish, and that um, it's, it is a livable place, and that people actually come from out of province or out even or even out of uh, just out of city to, to live there and that it's it's not necessarily a problem it's a happy community and that people are fine there okay so i don't think there's very many people that come from out of province or city to be homeless in vancouver no there are actual stats that go with the homeless count that show that that percentage is really low most of the people who are homeless have lived here for a year or some of them have lived here a lot longer than that i don't think anybody moves someplace to be homeless um, but it is a community, um, and it, but it's not fun living in a tent. One person we talked to, he said that the money that he got from welfare, if we raised the welfare for him, a lot of it would go to drugs when he was dealing with that issue. And we were wondering if, is there a way to make welfare a narrow down welfare so it goes towards something. It's really important for people to be able to make their own decisions about how they use yeah. the money. The vast majority, vast, 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 vast majority of people in welfare do not use illegal drugs. Maybe in the downtown east side there's a higher percentage of people that use illegal drugs. But, so there's two things that we need. One is we don't want all the money going to drugs. 
we should have a safe supply of drugs. Yeah. That would that would be able to kill two birds with one stone. And then the money. The deaths. Yeah. <laughs> and people wouldn't have to pay for the drugs. People should have access to free, safe drugs. That's what I think. It seems like such a simple fix. Raise these, raise this tax and build some housing and, and, and raise welfare. And you know, in 1972, 30,000 units of social housing were built across Canada, and now it's more like 1,500 to 2,000. So it was done, it was possible, it wasn't an evil socialist or communist government. It seems as though the downtown east side was a, an area that worked, you said, in the 70s. Why did these welfare rates diminish so, so drastically? In That's a drastic change. That makes sense. That would that would do it. Tobias, after speaking to Jean Swanson, what did you think about her opinion of mental health? Well, I th I thought it was super informative. I never thought about it before, but it totally makes sense. Like, if you don't have a home when you're growing up, if you don't have proper education, if you don't have economic stability, if you're if you're oppressed by society, like your mental health is going to be significantly worse than other people who have these things that she was mentioning. Yeah, I totally agree. And then when you look at the downtown east side as a community, and you see that these people are definitely lacking in economic stability, perhaps in education, they've definitely, as you said, been oppressed by society. She seems to think that the solution to this is simple, that you need to raise welfare and build housing. What do you think about this? Well, for the raising welfare part, I think that it could be very beneficial for um, a person that's in the right mindset who wants to get out of the situation that they're in. Um, building housing is definitely something that I believe in, something that will help anybody uh, who's living on the streets. So, yeah, it's a, tr it's a tricky... I don't, I don't think it's simple. I think it, it is complex, but those are some good spots to start. Contrasting what both Ben and Jean said, do you believe that the downtown east side is a problem that needs to be solved? Well, I think the downtown east side is just a, a spot, it's a community, it's a neighborhood in Vancouver. Um, the drug epidemic, the overdose crisis, that's definitely a problem that needs to be solved in Vancouver. The homelessness maybe? The ho people living on the streets, that definitely needs to be, um, that's definitely a problem that needs to be solved. So, putting people in houses, basic living things, um, would be awesome. But I definitely think there's a community down there that can um, work. Wait, you have to answer that question too. Okay. So, Liam, right back at you. Do you think the downtown east side is a problem? I see the downtown east side as a very interesting ecosystem, if you will. So. Yeah. 
things down there function, right? They function in a certain way, and I think that there are problems within the community, as you said. But I think overall, it's not like people, like a lot of people think. A lot of people, when you mention the downtown east side, they cringe and they go, oh, like, oh, that's a stain on our city. But I don't really see it necessarily as such. I see it that there's definitely issues down there. We can't have people overdosing on fentanyl. We can't have people, you know, that are, that are just out in the cold and freezing temperatures. But the community there is very strong. And I think that, as you said, if we solve some issues within that community, it will better it as a whole. But I do not think that the community as a whole is a problem that needs to be solved. No. When I started this project, I was under the impression that there was no help being given to the people on the downtown east side, and that they didn't have the life necessities to survive. Afterwards, I learned that this might not necessarily be true. After listening to Ben Garner and going down there, I realized that there were actually plenty of food lines and things being given out to people. There was welfare. So there are actual supports in place for this community. Not necessarily enough, but there's not nothing. Also. When starting this project, I had no clue what the downtown east side was really like. Having never spent actual time there, or spoken with members of that community, I had no sense of what it was like. Interviewing people who actually lived there, or who, or who had lived there in the past, allowed me to connect realistically with the downtown east side, and at least see what it was like for myself. What I learned is that the community down there is actually one of the most supportive communities in the city and that the neighborhood, while flawed in many regards, has many more positives than most people give it credit for. I believe that the stigma causes the community to be alienated from the rest of the city in an unjust way. Many people see it as a dark mark in our city and something that brings us down socially. While drug abuse and overdoses aren't pretty, the community is not nearly as toxic as people say. The downtown east side deserves a chance. And I don't believe that there's a simple fix to the community because it isn't necessarily a problem. Housing is a great solution, and so is welfare, but each has their complications as well, and I still don't even know if this is a problem. While things there, well some things there actually, do need fixing, doesn't all of Vancouver? Can any neighborhood here really claim to be perfect? Everyone has their dirty laundry, it's just that some of the people on the downtown east side don't even know where to put it. So we shouldn't judge because I don't think anyone's perfect here. Throughout this project, I've learned so much and gained so many perspectives. I think everyone in Vancouver should take the chance to learn about the downtown east side before labeling as something it isn't, and just going along with the state. When I started this project, I knew about the drug use, poverty, crime, mental illness, prostitution, and homelessness in the downtown east side. After having many conversations with people living in the downtown east side, I have learned that homeless people are normal people and could have been my neighbor months before they were in a bad situation. I hadn't realized how quickly someone can end up homeless. If you had a bad injury and you can't go to work for a while, or if you have a mental health disorder and you decide to self-medicate with drugs or alcohol that make you instantly feel better because you're sick and tired of the medical system trying random new drugs on you that don't even make you feel better, you can easily end up on the streets or in a shelter. Counselor Jean Swanson told me about social determinants that can directly affect the mental health of people. These are conditions in which people are born, raised, live, and work, which is shaped by the distribution of money, power, and resources by the government. People in the downtown east side oftentimes don't have economic stability, proper education, or good health, 
which could explain why there are so many people with mental illnesses. If we can get people into houses and off the streets, and get proper health care for the people in the downtown east side, I believe that it could drastically affect the overall well-being and mental health of the community. On the other hand, we met with Ben Garner, who grew up in the British properties and had a good family. And he has bipolar disorder, so I think that it's also important to recognize how anybody around you can have a mental health disorder, and that we should support people no matter how they look on the outside. Despite the sadness of the overdose crisis and the living conditions in the downtown east side, I noticed that there's such a strong sense of community resilience. The people have been through so much together, and they all become a tight-knit family. We heard some clashing ideas on welfare and what helps versus what harms the situation. I think that pilot projects, which test the effects of higher welfare rates, would be really interesting to investigate in the coming years. On the other hand, all the people we interviewed came to the consensus that housing is super important. I believe creating housing for people who are living on the streets is the best place to start. One day, I hope that everyone in Vancouver has proper housing because no one deserves to have to sleep on the ground in freezing cold weather just to become another forgotten one. This podcast project would not have been possible without the efforts of so many people. We would like to thank CBC for allowing us to use some of their clips, free sounds for their music, Gene Swanson and Ben Garner for giving us such great interviews, people on the downtown east side for sharing their stories with us, our entire production team, Fountain and Sam Wheeler, Caleb O'Brien both for their amazing music, and Mr. Hauk for giving us a platform to produce this project.